All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran studios. The law offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAW-FRAN or go to lawfran.com. The law offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. To the Garage Bill Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Jason Hallman. Got a fantastic episode for you today. Interviewing Mark Hendricks, the general manager from Tobacco Road Harley Davidson in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, we talk to so many people in the aftermarket that it's interesting when you get to sit down with somebody who is on the factory side of things, and he is a very, very unique point of view on how to deal with the aftermarket. It's refreshing to hear that. This episode of the Garageville podcast was recorded live in the Law Fran studios. Call 1-866-LAW-FRAN and follow at Fran Hosh Law Group. We're brought to you by SNS Cycle. Since 1958, SNS has led the V-Twin aftermarket. From innovative new ways to get air and fuel into your performance twin to big bore kits for all big twins, sportsers, and M8s to today's must-have exhaust components, choose SNS Cycles for your next performance upgrade. Visit sscycle.com and follow SNS Cycles on social media at SS Cycle. Team Dream Rides in Maryville, Tennessee is located only minutes from the tail of the dragon. And Dream Rides specializes in performance engine upgrades used bike sales, service, maintenance, and repair. Visit TeamDreamRides.com and follow at DreamRides Tennessee on Instagram to keep up on all the latest news. We're getting closer to the High Seas Rally. It sets sail this October 29th through November 5th. And it's the only motorcycle rally on a cruise ship. One week, 3,500 bikers, four Caribbean ports. Follow at High Seas Rally on Instagram and use your code SPEEDMETAL. You're going to save 100 bucks on your cabin price and the drinks are on us this year. We're also brought to you by 1620 Workwear, premium made in the USA workwear, guaranteed for life. Visit 1620USA.com. Use the discount code SPEED. 2022 and you're going to save 20 percent at checkout we're the only folks that get that discount make sure you're following My guest today is Mark Hendricks from Tobacco Road, Harley-Davidson, and you're, you're in North Carolina, aren't you? I'm in North Carolina, yep, Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay, so that's, a, I mean, that's a, that's, that's as big of a city as you can have, and, you know, there's Charlotte, Raleigh, right, isn't Raleigh-Durham, or isn't that kind of, is, am I saying that wrong, or? Yep, no, that's right, Raleigh-Durham is, is this area here, Research Triangle Park is another way they describe this area, you know, we've got NC State, Duke, and uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, all within a stone's throw of one another. So it's a very competitive space, both intellectually and sports-wise. Are you, are you a North Carolina native? Uh, I am not. I'm actually an Army brat. My dad was in the Army for 30 years. I was born and raised in Germany. My mom is German. I'm bilingual, and I didn't get to the United States until I was in 10th grade. 
Oh shit! So you come over here at fourteen, fifteen years of age, and uh, I did. Where yeah. did you guys? Where did you guys settle first when you got here from Germany? Uh, we got. We went to Fort Bragg. Okay. Uh, you know the largest military installation in the United States. My dad retired there. I went to high school there. So your dad was an officer. He he was not an officer. He was a, a command sergeant major. Do they consider those NCOs? I don't understand all the military stuff. I don't know all the stuff. Yeah. The so, parts. so yeah, non-commissioned officer. Um, you know, you, you've got your uh, you've got your officers that are kind of the higher ranking people, and you've got the non-commissioned that are uh, are basically the E E one through E nine. I think it is. I can't remember. It's been so long. Sure. Um. But uh, my dad stayed a command sergeant major a long time because he just didn't, you know, the command sergeant major was the rank that had all the clout. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny that some people, I mean, even in the business world, and uh, I have a friend that is with the Polk County Sheriff's Office down here, and I don't know if you know who Grady Judd is, but he's he's pretty He's a pretty important person around here, and, and he's in the national news had, uh, every once in a while. And Trump had appointed him um, <clears throat> to some position in um, – not in the cabinet necessarily, but I think in an advisory role. And yeah. uh, so he's got a really strong uh, group of people that work around him. And I know that there's some – you know, there's a way you almost, you level up to a certain point and then you almost, you have to go back down to the bottom of the next level of, of officers and in grouping. So I, I get it, you know, and I can't imagine, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but um, I was, I was in the position, like when I was a kid, the people I knew that were, I didn't know anybody first off that was an army brat because I lived in Detroit and there's not really, there's, there's a base in Oscoda, I think, and something in Saginaw, but it's not, it's not real big, you know? And, right, right. and, um, so I really didn't know anybody that were in the situation that, that you were, that you were raised in. So I didn't understand all of that, but I can't imagine moving around and, and, and doing all those different things. You know, the people I knew that were in the military served four years or eight years and then got out. Well, I'll tell you, it, it turned me into who I am today because moving around like I did and having to make new friends all the time ended up being a huge benefit in my life because I don't meet too many strangers, you know, and I have I have no problem going into a situation that I don't know anyone in and turning it into something beneficial for for whoever I'm with and myself. Yeah, well, and, I mean, that's a good that's a good skill to have. I mean, that's something that every group of friends needs to have somebody who can talk to the cops. <laughs> yeah, it is. You're exactly right. And that's, you know, especially in college, you came in handy that that skill set. <laughs> yeah, right. We were like, oh, this is first, swear to God, we didn't know there was anything in that punch. <laughs> but the other thing, the other thing is my work ethic. I mean, I'm, you know, I've been called a workaholic by a lot of people. And, and part of that is because my work ethic you know, working summer hire every year on the army base, cutting grass and stuff as being, you know, Sergeant Major Hendricks's kid. I mean, they put me through the ringer, you know, and sure. I, I developed I developed some thick skin and I developed a good work ethic that I carry still with me to this day. Did you enlist? I did not. That's an interesting my, thing, isn't it? Yeah, well, my dad served for a long time, and my mom was adamant that he had served for all of us, that she, she wanted us to go into different directions. Uh, I ended up at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill as a political science major. My brother became a police officer, which is essentially a version of the military. Sure. 
Um, and, uh, and I did not, I, I went into uh, a different route, which ultimately brought me to the motorcycle business, which I absolutely love. So you said that you got into the motorcycle business, uh, in 2010, did that start at tobacco road? Uh, no, it didn't. It started at a small chopper shop in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Really? Um, I had, I had gotten out of the car business. Um, I had worked for, uh, for Rick Hendrick for about 13 years. Okay. Um, the NASCAR guy. Yep. And, uh, and I tried to figure out what I was going to do as my next career. And I went to apply at the Harley shop. And because I had run some pretty big car stores in my life, they, I think, were a little intimidated and kind of laughed me out of the building. And on my way home, I passed a little Big Bear Chopper Sucker Punch Sally and Triumph dealership that had popped up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And uh, I just, you know, the car business had been fairly good to me. So I said, I'm just going to go get a job there. I don't care what it is. And uh, that's how I started my motorcycle career. I worked in a little chopper shop that built some bikes out of the back and retail choppers out on the front side of the house. And, of course, my skill set, having been in the car business for so long, picked it up about 10 notches. And before I knew it, uh, I was uh, selling more Triumph motorcycles than the Raleigh dealership, which happened to be owned by the drag racing uh, grand godfather, Ray Price. Okay. And uh, his grandson ran that Triumph store. And in true Ray Price form, he drove down to Fayetteville, purchased the Triumph dealership and closed it so that Ray, uh, so that Jordan didn't have any competition. Wow. And uh, and I, 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 I came with that purchase, sort of. And I ended up in Raleigh at the Harley store, and I haven't looked back. That's pretty awesome that you have a car background. So we have lots to talk about because I started the car business. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in Detroit, so that's kind of where the car business started. Not kind of, that, that's yeah. where, where it actually oh, did yeah. start. And so I have a very unique... Um, I don't know, not unique. That, that sounds a little too pretentious. But I, I have a very... Um, almost a, a very privileged version of what the car business is because of, you know, being that I came up in the car business in Detroit, I got to work for, uh, you know, my first job in the car business was selling cars at the largest Lincoln Mercury store in the world. So I kind of yeah. got thrown in the deep end of, of car sales pretty quickly without, without a lot of, I mean, they gave me some training, but it was, it was, sure. it, it's, you know, it's a very personality based business, especially in Detroit. I don't know how it is in, in North Carolina. I know how it is in Florida. It's, I don't like the car business down here in Florida. It really, it's, uh, it's very off putting. It's very, uh, we got to do this right now. And I'm not do this right now kind of guy. You know what I mean? I'm not a one night stand yeah. kind of cat. I, I, I like the, I like the process of getting to know somebody. I like the process of finding out what their likes and dislikes are. I really enjoyed the process of selling a car when somebody that was buying it from me was enjoying what they were doing. You know what I mean? Right. Oh yes. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you on that. I'm, I'm very fortunate that I, graduated from the University of North Carolina and uh, Rick Hendrick was at the career fair recruiting staff and uh, the you know he his, his dealership network was growing like crazy in around 1996 and uh, he uh, that's the year I got in the car to, business he tried to um, to take a different direction you know car salesmen by definition back then were kind of like people who didn't know what else to do and they could make a good living. And uh, Mr. Hendrick didn't want to do that. He hired college graduates and trained us to sell cars. 
And uh, I got I got into a, a a good dealership pretty quickly. I worked my way into the finance department pretty quickly, and uh, and from there, I you know I, I worked my way all the way up to general manager. And uh, you know it was a great run. It was very educational. I learned how to do things the right way. That organization is is an amazing organization. Um, I just you know I, I stopped having fun. I, you know, it's funny you say that. It's funny that you say that, that that's why that that's why you quit because I didn't think, uh, and I want to back correct. I, I got into the car business in 95. I forgot it wasn't 96, but I, what is it real quick? What does it say about a guy like Rick Hendrick that he is there personally recruiting at somewhere like that? I think it says a lot about him. Well, you know, he, I have so many awesome, uh, Mr. Hendrick stories. I mean, we could talk for hours. There's a reason why he's so uber successful. And, uh, and back then when I first got in it, he would actually visit all the dealerships, you know, and the difference is over time, it would start, it would go from, he'd drive in with a suburban to when I left, he'd fly in with his helicopter. So, I mean, he grew big time and it was awesome to see. And you were part of something like that. Of course, the whole NASCAR scene grew as well with Jeff Gordon and all that stuff. Sure. But, um, you know, it says a lot about a, a gentleman like that. And, you know, I've I've worked for I, I've not worked for many people in my career. And I worked for Rick Hendrick, who was a racer, and I worked for uh, Ray Price, who was a racer. And they were very similar in how they go to market and what they what it takes to do business. And and part of that is you got to take care of your people. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I it, it was a it was a great education after college for life, for sure. Yeah. The, you mentioned taking care of your your people. And, you know, for a while there, we have different, you know, I have different, uh, subject matter on, on this podcast. And sometimes we talk just about, sometimes I get on here and just blather on by myself about business, but you know, I'm bringing my daughter up uh, as a third generation here at the shop. And one of the things I've, I, you know, I've developed is a set of rules. There's really only three rules that we, that we operate by. And it's, you know, number one rule is feed the wolf at the door. Number two rule is take care of your employees. And number three rule is just live to work another day. And so I'm trying to like minimize the level of stress that, that goes home with her so that she's not overwhelmed by that. But, you know, taking care of your employees is something is super, super, super important. And I, you know, I have to tell you, it's going to be impossible for you and I to have a good long conversation without talking about what's going on at some of the dealers. And, and I would never ask you to disparage anybody or would never ask you to disparage the motor company because by and large, I love my Harley Davidson motorcycles. I have many of them. I've owned many more and I intend to, you know, I, I haven't bought my last brand new Harley yet. And, um, but I, there's some, the, the proliferation of auto dealers buying um, buying Harley Davidson dealerships, ha I think has changed the, the footprint of, of how people view, even people that work there view the Harley, the Harley stores. I think people that have been around them their whole life. And I don't know what we'll get into what your experience with motorcycles was prior to, if there was any, but you know, I was, I was raised in a biker household where the Harley dealers were really independent motorcycle stores you know shops like yeah. what i have and like maybe the one you described that you worked at in raleigh that um that were turned into into dealerships and there was a point in time where you'd mentioned earlier um when we first started talking about dealerships that are cycling out of ownership 
based yeah. on the fact that they used to be able to I used to call it the gold rush era from 2000 to about 2006, where they could print their own money. You know, every right. bike that came in was already sold before it went out. There was very few yeah. bikes in inventory because they were selling so fast, not because they couldn't get microchips or because we had outsourced so many things and we weren't able to be reliant on our own, uh, you know, materials and, and, and things like that. But uh, there's, there's a thing that happens at dealerships when they get bought by automotive dealers that, man, I, I kind of feel like it's, uh, they put their, sometimes they put their B team in place and they don't, yeah. they don't feed that monster what it, what it takes to be successful. And it's, it's really sad because I, I, you know, being at a Harley dealer is something I have not done, but I've been in the motorcycle industry for 18 years. Well, I think that that's why I said earlier, it's a really peculiar time right now in our industry. And uh, it's all about perspective. You know, I being, a, uh, being involved in the Harley space like I am, I really do see both sides of the coin. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of Harley dealers in the country simply underperforming and, and, and not giving their customers what the customer kind of deserved. Um, now you can take that too far, right? Cause you're right. There are some dealers that are owned by giant dealer networks. And now you can, a private equity firm can purchase a Harley store that used to not be allowed. So now you're going to have people who own that store who don't even maybe ride or don't even have anything to do with a motorcycle. They're just buying it for an investment purpose and they want to see a return and it changes the game. It really does. And, and, and the motor company is trying to, to mitigate all this and and you know they, they it, it, i think it's a, a little comical that they you know are promoting the vintage and the history and the past and all that stuff and partnership with jason momoa and all the old bikes and stuff but the way they're going to market today is very modern and it is very much not what my customers who are sitting out there on the bench today who came in this morning and drank some coffee and picked up the garbage in the parking lot because that's what they do for us because they want the space to be cool. They don't like that, that sort of uh, being sold to, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's missing the, the, the mom and pop motorcycle, independent motorcycle dealership feel. And so, you know, I, I'm lucky. Um, we are, per, we, we are part of a seven dealer group. And it's owned by one person. And he calls me and says, Mark, I'm flying in. Where, where are we going to ride to? Like, he rides his motorcycle all the time. I met him in Sturgis. We both rode our Pan Americas to Sturgis. He came from the West Coast. I came from the East Coast. And so I'm fortunate. But so many of my peers are fighting to keep that Harley family feel in the dealership. When all that they get asked and on the back end is how many did you sell today? How much did you make today? You know, did we crush our customer? What did I, you know, those, those are car business words that the Harley space used to not have to have to use. Well, so here's something that, that, that that'll help try to draw listeners into, into the conversation is that you have, um, uh, have you ever hired somebody? I'm sure you have, you've hired somebody who, um, they come in and they, they look the part, right? They've got what I will call the quote unquote costume on. And I don't, I don't mean to be disparaging, but you know what kind of person I'm talking yeah. about. They, they're, you know, you dress for like the old saying, you dress for the job you want. 
right? Yeah. And yeah. so they come yeah. in, they've got the, the jeans, the boots, the, the denim shirt, and they walk the walk and talk the talk and you give them the shot and then you watch them try to sell motorcycles in there. You could have, they could have been just as easy selling a Hyundai Sonata, the way that they're, the way that they're conducting business and you kind of have to slow, slow them down and, yes. and change the way that they're addressing the customer and how they're approaching the sales. And, you know, I don't know if you use a tower system or not, but, um, you know, try to try to engage the customer into the immersion of the dealership. I remember when I bought my first brand new Harley Davidson in 2003 at Motor City Harley Davidson. There was no way that you could walk into a dealership, purchase a motorcycle, even if it was in stock, and take it home that same day. It was not happening. Yeah. Yeah, now that's an expectation. You know, my my favorite part of what you just said is I always focus on the wallet chain. If a guy comes in and interviews for a job and he's got a wallet chain, I always ask in the interview, what's the wallet chain for? And it's crazy how many people don't know. They think it's jewelry. Yeah. They don't realize it actually serves a purpose when you're on an old school chopper and your wallet falls out. You don't lose all your shit. Yeah, because I've lost you my know? wallet before, sir. Yeah. And so that's my favorite part of it. And I train, I train on that, even customers, you know, because there's, de there's a definite difference between what, what I would call a hobbyist mm -hmm. and what I would call a motorcyclist. There, there, there's a, there's a difference there. And it, that's not a disparaging remark either. You know, we survive off hobbyists as a Harley store because we sell a lot of folks who, who, uh, you know, who ride on the weekend or ride with their friends or whatever. And, uh, you know, there's not a motorcyclist is the guy that maybe doesn't own a car right now. You know, I, my daughter, my daughter works at the dealership too. And, uh, I remember when I would take her to school on the back of my big bear chopper, cause we didn't have a car Yeah. and she'd have to carry her helmet around in junior high because it didn't fit in the locker. Yeah. You know, uh, that's a lifestyle thing, right? Sure. And, uh, and so, you know, we we have to recognize that those that that's how it is and then embrace that. You know, um, I I was telling my girlfriend the other day, you know, it's funny in my lifetime, how many people I've had as friends until they got into boats or until they got into RVs or until they sold their motorcycle and did the next thing that happened to be popular on television. Yep. And it's just it's a perspective thing. I don't get upset about it anymore. I just focus on the, 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 the people that are, that are legit. And, you know, when I started traveling for, for the lifestyle, when I started going to the rallies, I, I've been to Sturgis eight or nine times. And, uh, and when I started going to those events every year for my vacation, that's when I met the motorcyclists. And I met people that now are absolute lifelong friends. Sure. And maybe I only see them four times a year in person. But man, we talk all the time about stuff and uh, it's just, it's, it's life changing when you get to that point, you know, it and, is, I call them pedestrians and, and I don't have, I, I, I love, I love, you know, I mean, I don't have a lot of people in my life that are pedestrians anymore just because of the nature of, like you said, it's funny when I bought Harley, this is no lie. When I bought a Harley, the group of people that I hung out with, like completely disowned me. And yep. then, and then all of a sudden they start buying Harleys cause it, they wanted to, you know, they, they saw it and this, whatever, you know, and then next thing you know, 
excuse me, they're calling and you're riding with them. And it's, but it's, yeah. And I don't mean to be mean because I'm not, I don't, I've never considered myself a biker. My dad was, but I, I'm not, um, it, it's different for me than what it is for other people. I have a very different motorcycle, just like you do. I have a very different motorcycle experience than most people have. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And, and, you know, I got my first bike, um, when I was in, uh, in college and it was all from South campus where the cheap dorms were. Cause that's all I could afford. Um, it was a long walk uphill to get to class. And I realized one day I could park my $500 old Kawasaki Ninja between the student union and the library and no one would ticket it because I could put it in the bicycle rack. And that's how I started, man. I bought an old $500 Ninja. I started riding around in college. I was the only kid around with a motorcycle. And, you know, you're right. Like people were people were kind of weirded out by it. And uh, and I, I've had a bike in some form ever since then. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I did, did, I got into a little, uh, road racing when I was a lot younger and I did the whole metric bike scene for a while. And man, when I bought my first Harley, everything changed. Everything does. Cause that's when the relationships, that's when the relationships started. And, uh, and that's when the lifelong friendships started. And I met people I would have never, ever met otherwise. And I, I I'll tell you, it's, 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 a it, it, there's an extreme example in this. One of the reasons I got into custom bikes was because of all the early, early TV shows that came out. Oh and yeah, I'm, these are these are these are shows before Jesse's Biker Build Off stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And some of the guys that would show up on those shows would be Donnie Smith and Dave Perowitz, you know, Billy Lane, some of Jesse early on too, and uh, and that's what got me interested in it. And, and now my phone rings and it says Dave Perowitz and I still have to pinch myself. So I'm like, there's no, how, how did this happen? Yeah. You right? find yourself in some pretty interesting rooms when you are, you know, and it's it, like you said, I don't know. So you started in 96 in the, in the bike yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you actually, I fought it a lot longer, <laughs> a lot longer than that. I, uh, I didn't do, I didn't start doing the bike stuff until Oh three. And I'm, my dad always had, and always had a bike and, and everything. And I just, I did my own thing. I was a drag racer and I, I drag raced Mustangs, the five Oh stuff and the street outlaw stuff before there were street outlaws. And, yeah. and then one day I just, I, I had, I was looking, I was tired of the, the car deal and, it was not like the bike thing at all. Like I, I had a lot of friends that rode that drove cars and stuff, but it's it's a, an entirely different, a far more uh, personally visceral thing when you are on a motorcycle. To me, that I can't. There's no way I could quit. Uh, I, I couldn't. I couldn't put this away and 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 not do it anymore. It's it's not. It's part of I think of who I am. Yep. I I'm, I'm there. And, and, and I agree with you. And, you know, I, I just got done at the, um, cycle source magazine, you know, Chris and Heather, yeah. uh, Callen, they put out, they put an event on here called the smoke out. It was a 22nd year. They did an amazing job. It was an incredible event. And, uh, I saw what I would deem as, you know, bikers and motorcyclists there because it rained one night and I looked around and people had put their tent over their bike and were sleeping in the rain. 
Yeah, right? That's great. And, you know, and that's one of the things I want to talk about because I know the smoke out was last week and I was not able to go. I just have too much going on here in Florida right now to be able to not uh, to not be here in space because my daughter, our youngest daughter is getting married and uh, in October. So I've got a lot of stuff I, I have to get done between now and then. But, uh, the, you know, so I got to I got to live uh, vicariously through your posts on social media and everybody else's posts on social media of watching all the people that I hang out with, um, you know, do that. And, and, and I, so I, I'm, I'm excited to go next year. I'm, I'm told everybody like, we're not making any plans. This is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was my, my favorite event this year. 100%. Now, did you used to go to that one back in the day? I did. I used to go to the one in Rockingham. I never went to Salisbury when it was there. But I did go to Rockingham regularly because I was in Fayetteville at the time. Okay. And it was really close, you know. Um, and uh, and I, I, feel like, I feel like what's interesting now with what they're doing with the smoke out is the same thing that we're having to do with other things in our industry. Like how do you document the history and how do you document – how do you keep alive some of the things that are starting to – to, to die out because no one's passing the torch, right? I, uh, you know, what, what was happening in Rockingham um, was so organic and so visceral and real that it was epic and it grew, you know, organically. And one of the coolest things I think Chris did uh, was he put an old spray painted sign at the front registration desk that said smoke out in, in neon spray paint. And, you know, the signage there was very nice, very upscale, very glitzy. It was beautiful signage. And so he put that sign there with a little note that said, here's an homage to what it used to be, where they just laid this on the road with an arrow to show you where it was. You yeah. Know? And, 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 and <clears throat> reminding people of that history and, and carrying it through and passing the torch is so important. And, uh, you know, I'm having to do it in the Harley space. Chris is doing it in the custom space, the chopper space. Like who are these people? You know, how are you leveraging your platforms in order to make sure that this stuff doesn't die so that the motorcycle space doesn't become like the car business or the boat business or the RV business where when you walk in to buy a boat, they're just hammering you for the sale. And that's all they care about. And the guy selling it to you doesn't even ride, doesn't even do boating. Yeah, you know? that's that's a that's a that's a weird thing. And <clears throat> you know, I don't know how you feel about um, things that happen. So I feel like uh, we're going through uh, as a country and and as a community in the motorcycle business too of a of a what's next kind of thing. Like uh, you know, if you remember in '08, like the chopper thing had really cycled, not out of relevance, and it's never gone away for those of us that are that are chopper kids, but it wasn't the, the flavor of the month. And I always used to kid around, I'm like, all these big dogs that were purchased, I feel like people go to, they went to Sturge, or they went to Daytona in 05. Uh, while they were there, they tried to buy a chopper from Ron Sims or Jesse James and couldn't afford it. They went home and they went and found a big dog dealer and they bought you know, they, they bought a big dog and then they went to Daytona in 06 with their 
big dog and their affliction genes in their wallet chain, like you said. And then they met a girl there because they had a cool bike and uh, they didn't pull out and they ended up having to buy a minivan. So they traded the big dog in for a minivan. And then you, we didn't hear from them for a while. And then there was really not a lot of innovation. If you look at 09 and 2010, the most innovative thing, in my opinion, that happened was Harley went to a much better, um, a much more venerable chassis in the, the bagger. The, in, yeah. in the bagger space, right, with the removable rear subframe and a wider rear tire and the and a proper cush drive, and um, I felt like those bikes really turned the corner and allowed them to get to where they needed to be, which is in fourteen when they released the the CAN bus systems and that, and the bikes just kept getting better and better and better and better, and I right. just don't know, I don't know what's next. Like fourteen, fifteen, big wheels started, and those they're still built, being built, um, but they didn't they never got super they never got super cheap like the choppers did for a while there it seemed like there was more chopper builders than there were bikers you know and it was it yeah. was so i don't know what i don't know what's next the performance thing i think has always been there i've always been into you know good suspension and good motors and stuff like that so we're kind of in a weird space which brings us to the new softail el diablo st and have you ridden it do you have one for sale and what are your impressions of that yeah, so I, I have ridden the SP. Um, we have sold quite a few of those. They're bringing crazy money still. Um, I, I have not received my El Diablo. I'm supposed to get it in the first week in October. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the El Diablo is a really cool concept on something that Harley's trying to do with all the brands, with all the make uh, model lines, where they're trying to do something called the Icon Series, where they try to pay pay uh, a tribute to some of the older styles that were really cool and they they try to come with a, a version of it that was modern um it's not patronizing either yeah it's not patronizing and it's limited production and they're numbered and um and the the uh el diablo the el diablo is the second bike in that series um and you know i i think it's a really cool bike i uh i think that the the car business mentality is going to ruin it because there's the bikes are selling for 10 grand over sticker in some places. So, okay. That, I'm writing down the next question that I wanted to ask you. And it's, do you worry as a general manager of a store, do you worry? Uh, I don't want to, cause I don't want, I don't want somebody to hear this and go like, Oh, well, Mark's, you know, Mark's just one of those guys or that dealership's just one of those dealerships or Mark's just saying what he has to say to, to keep his job or, you know what I mean? Like that, I, I want you to, to be able to feel free to be honest about like, as, it, as a motorcycle enthusiast first, which is what I believe you are, do yes. you, do you worry about, you know, like, so we were just talking about this today. So I'm, I'm a car guy too. And so we were talking about a friend of mine whose parents bought a brand new Chevelle in 1970 with a 402 and they didn't really drive it and they kept it in their garage. And then they just sold it a few years ago when they retired and it was retirement money, right? Like yep. they didn't know that you could do that in 1970. Just like I didn't know in 1986 that if I would have saved my, my hutch and my, my, you know, my ozone method air and my Revcore uh, freestyle frame and my Haro master, if I would have kept all that shit that I could have retired already because of eBay, right? Yeah, so, yeah. but now we know that kind of shit. We've all watched Barrett Jackson and you see this stuff go through and I, I don't know how, I'm very cynical about it. Like I look at yeah. these cars and I'm like, okay, I knew somebody in high school 
legit and a kid named Chris Arachko, whose dad bought a brand new 1969 DZ302Z28, kept it in the garage, took care of it, didn't let it go out in the wintertime, and gave that to him when he was in high school, and they still have the car now. That's like a fifty or $60,000 numbers matching yep. Camaro that cost $3,000 50 years ago. And so I look at Barrett-Jackson, I'm just like, this is ridiculous. This is, a, you know yep. what I mean? Like the car, to me, it's not worth it. Sure, but I'd like to have it and have that money, but it's still, to me, not worth it. So where's the tipping point on where these bikes are worth it and not worth it like from a from a good space from a, somebody who's a salesman and a general manager how are you navigating those waters fairly and so, equitably for the brand so, your dealership and yourself yeah so i i think it's uh you know chris callen asked the same thing when i did his podcast and uh and and you know how does a guy like me who i will not go into a dealership and spend 10 grand over on a z06 or something like that i just won't do it how do you navigate that? And, and I, you know, my response to that is the relationship you have with your dealer is everything. It's so important. That's a part of what has not changed in my opinion. You know, if you go into a dealership that's owned by a mega corporation that owns car dealerships, that staffed it with people who don't ride, that all they want to do is crank out the numbers. You're not, you're going to pay too much. You just are. Well, so hasn't if that changed to- then? Because like like I said, like before, I the dealership around here has a really um, unfavorable, unfavorable reputation of turnover in front of store, like 200% per year. Yeah. And I won't say who they are, but, but like that has changed. Like what you just hit on was like, okay, so let me just make sure that everybody listening understands what I think you said. What I think you said is that if you have a customer that you see him every few years to purchase a new motorcycle, he brings friends in to purchase their first motorcycles. He brings family members in to buy, uh, you know, P&A. He brings people in to buy apparel. He buys Harley shirts himself. He loves tobacco road Harley Davidson. Are you, yes. are you going to ding that guy 10 grand over the head? Cause he decides, Oh my God, Mark, you know, I love being part of the tobacco road family, but I really want this El Diablo. And yeah, you know what I mean? I, like, how would you feel yeah. if you're the customer and you got to pay 10 grand at a place where you've spent all of the Harley money yep. you can spend? That's why the relationship is so important because that will not happen to you if you're in the right place, because, you know, I, I keep a running tally of my customer spend. I know who my top guys and girls are. I know who says they spend a lot and don't. I, I, I keep them. I, I, it's important to me because I'm going to take care of the people who are looking out for us. And, uh, and you know, I, I came up in this industry under, under Ray Price. And Ray Price was a top fuel bag racer and a full, almost 40-year Harley dealer. And he did it the right way. And, you know, we do a lot of charity stuff and we do a lot of things to take care of our customers. Now, the market is what the market is. And, you know, when when uh, we're not discounting bikes five grand like we were for a while, you know, five years ago. Right. But 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 we're also cautious on on how much margin we do um, when when uh, when the, the market's going nuts all around the country. And the fact of the matter is. When I'm selling you a motorcycle, it's the beginning of a relationship, which is why motorcycling is what it is. And I want people to experience that. 
I do want you to service it here. I do want you to come to the events. I do want you to be an evangelist for riding and get the younger generation to get interested in it. And, and let's, let, let's continue together to make this fun. So it doesn't feel like uh, when you go buy a Corvette, you know, a Corvette is like a specialty car too, or, or maybe even a Ferrari or whatever, whatever specialty cars you're into, there's no one having bona fide events or there's, there's not a Corvette week somewhere. No, there's not. You know? I mean, you can go to Bowling Green. They have that thing once a year that, 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 you know, nerdy white dudes go to <laughs> because they're into Corvettes, but I happen to like Corvettes a lot, but uh, my- I, do, I do too. I do too, but it is different because, yeah. um, you know, the, 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 the lifestyle element is missing from it for sure. It's a very, it's a very individualized lifestyle element. And I don't want, I want customers to experience that, but the customer has a responsibility when it comes to that. Also, they have to come hang out and do those things and ride and get to know the staff and, 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 you know, get to know the management and get to know the owners if it's possible. And, uh, and that way, you know, it's a mutually beneficial situation. And uh, I will tell you, there's a, in my opinion, there's a huge opportunity opening up for the indie shops because there's going to be a void. There's going to be a void of that feel-good, hangout, lifestyle, element-filled dealership as the franchised Harley stores are getting more corporate. And, uh, and, and, and I, think, I think bikers want that. You know, I want that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like what we build our business around here at Cycle Stop USA. I want to I want to back up. You mentioned something that you pay attention to your customer spend and I think that's a that's a worthwhile thing to understand and so I have something that that I I didn't coin this phrase, but I talk about it all the time the economy to scale. And I I want to paint a kind of a scenario for you and and see how you feel about it. Like if if customer A and customer B are friends and customer A is a lawyer and customer B just happens to be somebody that has been friends with this lawyer for a super, super long amount of time, but maybe they're, they're a working man and they don't have, they don't have lawyer money. Um, but it, I just, the, the, the consumer, the, the consumer spend has to be, I think it has to be nuanced to the point where you look at the economy scale. The guy that's the lawyer that when he hears there's an El Diablo ST coming up, he's like, hey, I'm going to make a phone call and I'm going to get that bike. Hey, Mark, how many of those you getting? Well, we're only getting one. Well, listen, I want it. Well, I, I, you know, I'm a good customer. My bike doesn't get serviced anywhere else. I have four bikes. I've bought in 10 from you in the last 20 years. That's one every two years. I want this one. And he does spend a lot of dollars with you. But he makes a lot of dollars. And then his buddy, who is still riding, maybe he's riding a 15-year-old Road King, and he buys Tobacco Road shirts, and he can't come for all the service. He does a lot of service himself because he's he's, he's not a man of of large means. But if you look at his earnings based off of the percentage that he spends at Tobacco Road versus the other person's earnings and the amount they spend at Tobacco Road – being in a percentage basis a lot a lot less if you know what i mean like does that how do you how do you new, does that fit into that equation at all and i'm not trying to put you on the spot but i, I kind of want to put you on the spot a little it's, bit because you mentioned it's it totally okay I don't, I don't mind being put on the spot I'm, i'll tell you jason it's even more granular than that to me if that customer calls and says hey 
I'd like the El Diablo. The, fir- the first thing on any of these specialty bikes or anywhere where the margin makes you want to cringe, we have to have a discussion about it. They have to come to me. And the first question I ask is, well, who's, the, who's the customer? Now, the guy that's the blue-collar working man that's here for the pancake breakfast and raising money for charity and sitting out front every day saying, hey, thanks for coming to Tobacco Road. I've been sitting out here for 20 years, and this place is awesome, you know, that maybe only buys T-shirts. That person is just as important as the person spending thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. Because they're here putting in work. And if we know that I keep harping on it, if you don't have a relationship with your heart, with a Harley dealer somewhere, you're you're mess, you're doing yourself a disservice in today's climate in the motorcycle industry for Harley, because you're going to miss out on things like this, where I'm going to say to my parts guy, hey, do we know Mr. Smith? Oh, yeah, Mr. Smith. He's at every event. He 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 puts reviews on on Google every time he buys a, a gasket to do his oil change because he doesn't do the oil change here, but he buys all his parts to do it here. Like we we find out who that person is to make a decision on what we're going to do, because the last thing I want to do is have somebody walk away and go, I'm never coming back. I do not want that. It's not worth right. the extra couple grand, you know, now. If the lawyer guy calls from California because he can't find an El Diablo and nobody knows who he is and he says, hey, I'm going to fly over. I'm going to have a ship. Just who? Where do I wire transfer the money? You know, I'm not going to feel bad. (laughs) No, no, no. I didn't. And I wasn't trying to. What I was saying is like, you know, I I just want to make sure that people, you know, I think that when you you have to scale things for those kinds of discussions just from the same point like i try to explain to people like i spend more money than billionaires do i you know i make what i make and then i spend you know 103 percent of what i make every, every year yeah. you know because i'm spend 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 i don't get a chance to, I, don't, I don't spend that much but i mean like i don't get a chance to save as much and so my opportunities i just think that you know i think it should be said that that every man has an opportunity to be the best customer at a Harley dealer. Because I have to tell you, you know, you, you brought up a couple points and you're like, well, you know, you gotta be there, you gotta participate and, and you're missing out on an opportunity. Man, I gotta tell you as an independent shop owner, I feel like I'm not welcome. I feel like we're not welcome at all to go to the pancake breakfast. I feel like we're not welcome at all to go to the hamburger thing and hot dog thing on Sundays. And, you know, we're we're ostracized constantly. And I I would really love to have a very good working relationship with the Harley dealer, like Cody Childress and Abilene. I don't know if you, if you know Cody or not, but he has an amazing relationship with Kent's Harley Davidson in Abilene, Texas, because his dad cultivated that, you know, early on and, and Cody has yeah. kept it up. But I mean, like they're, he, he's a welcome, he's a welcome sign when he goes into the, the dealership. Now they won't sell him more than a, you know, more than a couple quarts of oil at a time. There's these limitations that Harley supposedly is yeah. put in. And, and I don't know if you're at liberty to talk about any of that stuff, but man, when yeah, yeah. coming yeah, from the car do, dealership, they, go ahead. They do, lim- they do limit us. And, and, you know, we can't sell uh, to an independent outside of our market area. Uh, they're pretty harsh. They're pretty harsh on it, but I'm going to tell you, you got to find another Harley store to do a, have a relationship with. Cause I, I ha- I let these guys set up at our events. And, you know, it's a confidence thing for me. I know I'm the best 
at taking care of my customer. I know I sell the best product. I know I have the best resources to to make it happen. And rising tides raise all ships. I say that all the and, time. Uh, yeah. Right. I invite our, our, our independents. I got one two doors down. He does paint work for us, you know, you know, so that you, you got to find the right spot. Sure. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll talk to you. I can, I can, I can comment on, on that a little bit later, but one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was talking about this exact subject is you and I are both car business. We came from the car business before we got into the bike business. I worked for very large Ford and Lincoln Mercury stores in Detroit <clears throat> and our parts department had a truck, a box van that was all lettered up with the dealership name on it. And we sold to every independent shop and every other dealership in the metro area. And and they did us. And I just think yeah. that, listen, as a, as an independent shop owner, I think it would, I think Harley, I know what I spend and I don't spend a lot, but you look at a guy like, 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 uh, John Jessup, that's a guy who spends well over a million dollars at his parts suppliers annually. If if there's a hundred shops that that buy parts in the in the country that spend a million bucks, there probably is. To be honest with you, that's a yeah. hundred million dollars that gets infused into Harley's parts business. And you know what? Yeah, you're not getting paid to bolt them on, but let's face it, Harley dealers, most of them or all of them, I don't know, won't work on things more than ten years old. So it would just, yeah. to me, it would build a community of, it would it would break down these walls of Jericho that are around a dealership where we're looking over the fence and going, okay, we're not welcome over there. You know, our, we don't have, you know, we don't have Harley jeans on, we don't have a Harley shirt on. And it, I think that there needs to be more communication between people like you and people like me that we, yeah. we're doing the same thing. We have the same clients, you know, and we can help each other. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to who's in the store, right? Because everything you're mentioning, I don't, I don't deal with here. I mean, I, I have a local bike builder here. His name is Kenny Williams, KW Customs. Mm -hmm. He builds hundred thousand dollar baggers. He's been building as long as I've been alive. He has no website. He builds six or. He's the only guy who shows up at a rally in his Aston Martin that he owns, right? Cause right. He's he's the he's the real deal. He's an OG. And I run a credit with him in my parts department. Like, the, who does that anymore? No, I. I right? They won't even let it. They and won't so even keep a card on file at ours. Yeah, I don't. I don't have that 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 issue here because of the, the people that are here now. My parts manager Jeff, he's been he's as old as the building, right? My shop foreman, thirty four years. Um, I've been here since two thousand and ten or two thousand eleven. Um, you know, I've got. I've, my average tenure in the store is really, really high, and that's that's what these other stores are missing. And you got to find a place that doesn't feel intimidated by that, or a place that understands the big picture of the community. And uh, and and it's it's disappearing quickly. Like it's up to people like us to scream from the rooftops to save it and to be evangelists for it, because I'm telling you, the motorcycle space is way more fun. If you're working in it and you can go to the local Harley store and be welcomed and you could, you know, yeah. it's just more fun. 
No, it, it, it is. And I would love for it to be like that. And I've worked really hard to try to cultivate those types of relationships and foster those kind of friendships and that. But it's, when you go to a store that has a 200% turnover, it's hard yeah. to, to, there's a not reason why they have the 200% turnover. It's not just that the people aren't there anymore, is that there's a right. reason why the people aren't there. And it's a toxic, it's toxic from, from, from the, from the top down, right? They have the, this thing like, you know, bottom up or whatever, but it, it, yeah. Man, you know, I, I, uh, I, as a, I was a high school auto shop teacher for a while and, uh, you know, that was a tough sell in 2010 and, you know, we had parents come, to, I had more parents come to the parent night that year when we started the auto Academy than I think had been at any other one, one class. And they were all worried that I was going to tell their kids that it was okay to be a mechanic. And what I assured them was, is that I was going to tell their kids that it's okay to be whatever their kids want to be. And that was the first thing. And, and the second thing was I was going to tell them that I consider automotive professionals, um, and I can use your dealership as an example, the, the young lady that answers the phone is an automotive professional. The, the young man right. who's a porter that's learning to work his way through the service department is an automotive professional. The, the biller that bills all your deals and make sure that all the paperwork gets done properly that goes to the state is an automotive professional. And, you know, there's all these, this, your kid's good at math. Great. You can be an F and I manager, right? You know, so right, right. you can be an accountant, you can be a controller, you can be, you know, and so I, I tried to, to draw the parallel. Like I treated everybody as an automotive professional when I was a new car sales manager at a Ford store, my porters were auto professionals. And so I tried to cultivate that kind of a culture to where everybody felt professional whatever it was you did we could put that professional word behind your name and i think you're on to something with you know i, I just think i i maybe have had a bad experience here and, and and hopefully um hopefully things change because i've heard and you know and this is a rumor that i've heard that there's a lot of harley stores that haven't closed yet that are going to be for one reason or another well, so so they've closed a lot of them. They, you know, there's about 550 stores right now in the country. Uh, just just two years ago, there was pro, I think it was 680 or something like that. They've closed over 100 stores in the last couple of years, and some of them you didn't even notice went away because they really they re, the, an area really was over dealered or or whatever the sure. case may be saturated. Um, you know the 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 challenge is. Unt these dealerships who are treating the customers that way, they're going to continue as long as the customers keep putting up with it. And what I mean by that, I, I've got I've got local stores that that mistreat their customers and I lost the first deal with them. But I got the second one. Sure. Right. Because after they bought that deal, that that uh, that bike and they got mistreated um, and they started coming around here and we didn't ostracize them because they didn't buy here. Right. We welcomed them. I got the second deal and I'll get the third and fourth and fifth one. And, uh, and that mentality is, is, is old school. And, you know, these new car dealership esque Harley stores, they don't, they don't have an understanding of that, but as long as they keep doing volume and customers just put up with it and they don't take the time to go find the good stores, it'll, it'll, it'll continue. Cause it has in the car business. Sure. You know, well, you know, in the car business, it went to about, 15 years ago, they started introducing in Detroit, the tower system. And for those who don't yeah. know, a tower system is you have kind of a raised platform where you have people that are uh, mid and upper management in sales that don't actually 
do the deals anymore and the salesmen can are not empowered to make decisions necessarily um they're right. really kind of you know trying to alleviate some of the professional some of the professionalism that the salespeople have and i and i think that's the beginning of the end of the relationship that you're allowed to develop with a client i i know people that sell cars that have been selling cars for literally 50 years i know a guy named dennis garrett who is still selling cars in the same community as he started in in 1973 and uh he just won't retire because he loves it so much but he you know he has made a, a metric fuck ton of money and he is um he's happy doing it in the customers he doesn't have to advertise or go out of his way because he's taking care of customers and he's built relationships over those those decades right yeah i mean that's that's the old school way to do it and you know the problem with that is today is i've got customers who leave me over 400 500 bucks you know and 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 that's hard that's disheartening and uh and you know what i tell my staff is stop focusing on the people who are disappointing you focus on the people who don't disappoint you right and you will be happier and there's enough in the pie to go around and listen karma is, is a real thing you go to a dealership that's going to beat you up uh you know mess with your trade I, I, there's all kinds of horror stories out there eventually when you go riding from dealership to dealership you'll they'll end up here what happens in the 10 minutes that they're here to get a cup of water could change everything in their trajectory the trajectory of their experience experience and right next thing you know next thing you know they will be here and they'll be here for life and that is why we have a lot of success right now because we operated that way under the Ray Price era, the previous owner, owner who had who passed away, and our new owner is, although a mega dealer and a very wealthy person, a motorcyclist and a rider. Period, and that gets pushed down as our corporate culture. And that's what these big stores are missing unless a guy or girl gets in there to help promote it, is allowed to promote it. And so I think you're going to end up with this rift. You're going to end up with a lot of factory stores cranking out units, and it's where customers will go to get the hardware and get out. And then you're going to have this other Harley-Davidson pool of dealers who uh, are lifestyle-oriented. Uh, legitimately lifestyle oriented, not mm -hmm. fake lifestyle oriented. You can't just hang the pictures. You can't just put the videos on TV and then say, hey, this is it. Like, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I do a, a couple of rides a year that I call the run to the ridge and we ride to the Blue Ridge Parkway and we camp. And I went to scout the trail one time before I did the ride and I right. stayed at the campground. And a customer came, that happened to be in the campground rode over to my campsite and goes, oh, my God, Mark, you actually camp? <laughs> and I'm like, well, hell, yeah, I camp. I loved it. Like, this is this is what it's all about. Strap my strap my stuff to the bike, go and, and you know, lay my head down where it's cool. I mean, where else am I going to sleep next to a river with a waterfall? Right. And they couldn't they couldn't believe it. And they were like, that's why I love Tobacco Road. You know, they're 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 for real. And um, I mean, that's going to be that other pool of motorcycle uh, dealerships that are going to survive, quite frankly. Okay. Because eventually, eventually, customers are going to fizzle out of those those big box mega stores. I mean, look what's already happening with these places in the mall and stuff. 
you know? I mean, um, I don't even go to the mall. Anymore. No, they just sold the mall here in Lakeland, Florida for, yeah. for a god, ungodly amount of money. And it's, it's, we're not going to have a mall. Um, one of the things that I, I've written down that I, I always, I always want to, when I talk to people that are in the dealerships, I can remember a day when, um, so there was a motorcycle club back in Detroit that every year at their annual party that was open to the public, they gave away the, 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 the big raffle item was they gave away a lottery spot at a dealership to buy a brand new bike, right? They, they didn't even give away a brand new bike. They gave away a lottery spot. Spot, yeah. So do you, being, being pragmatic like you are, do you feel that if you could write, if you could, like, let's just say they, they, they fly in and they grab you and like, listen, we need you to be the CEO. Do you feel like the best thing to do would be to shrink the brand back to a point where the value of the vehicle was based on supply and demand and say, listen, okay, we bought all the shares back from, from the shareholders. We're not public anymore. We're going to, we're going to increase the brand value like it used to be. Or do you feel that the brand value is actually higher than what it used to be? And that more people, that the way to do it is to put more people on, on the Harley Davidson motorcycles. I personally think that it's a fine line because you know, what, what, what is most memorable from that gold rush era is HD got a nickname hundred dollars, right? Yep. I mean, it, 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 it was not a good reflection of the brand. If, if, if there was another choice during that time in the marketplace that was as um, legit and cool and had the heritage that Harley Davidson had, people would have defected. They okay. didn't have uh, the ability to defect which is why they just put up with it. Which is why right? Sheldon Coleman and his buddies started Big Dog. Yeah, exactly why. And, you know, and I, I, I can't tell you how many people when I was in that chopper shop came in and said, hey, listen, I'm buying a Sucker Punch Sally for $22,000 and I sold my fat boy. You know, screw that Harley store. Hmm. Okay, because well, of that's the, a good point. You know, and, and, and Sucker Punch Sally at the time had already been sold you know, um, Christian owned it. Uh, yep. Christian owned it before he died. And, and they had the, you know, they had the Harley Evo motors that they bought in them and, you know, they were cool bikes. I have one right now. I mean, I, I still have one that, that my girlfriend rides, um, that matches my 68 Chevy C10 and it's a killer display. And I, and I love the bike, you know, it's a great bike, but, dude. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Cochran and Donnie Luce are, and you were just with them over the weekend. Um, yep, yep. was that your, that was that your sucker punch? It was in the back of the, the Chevy truck that was on Instagram. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's funny. Cause my buddy, uh, so Cameron, uh, I, I don't know. Did you, did you meet Cameron over the weekend? I didn't. Okay, Cameron and and my my main my main guy here, Keith. They they went there to uh, the smokeout, and uh, he was like, "Dude, you should have seen you should have seen this." And I was like, "Oh, I'm looking online," and, and there you go, there it was. He goes, "I never even saw it come out of the back of the truck." <laughs> yeah, we didn't pull it out because we never had time. Right. Um, I mean, there was so much going on, and even though it was raining and stuff, it was like we were busy, 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 busy. We never had time to even pull it out. So when it was time for the show, man, I drove the whole rig over there. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny that that's the bike. Because when you said that, I was like, wait a minute, I, I heard about that. And the the internet is still like the the 
typical, you know, post rally stuff where you're going to see for two or three weeks, you'll see pictures of, of things. So like I, I, like I said, I get to live vicariously through, uh, through all of the, the social media posts and stuff. Are you, uh, are you, are you heading to the Cape uh, here in a few weeks? I am. Yeah, I am. It's, it's one of my favorite hamster events that I do riding up there at the Cape. And of course we have another big auction there Yeah, for, uh, um, for meals on wheels and stuff. Um, you- and, yeah, it's it's. I'm definitely going up there. You know, I I I um, it. I've been I've been courting um, the group of 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 you for the la- for the last few years. I don't better. I don't know of a better uh, a better way to 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 word that. You know, trying to trying to ingratiate myself into that group, and uh, I try to champion that because I think there's a um, I think there's a group of people that don't don't know what that group's all about, but, um, feel free to, to pair it. Like the feeling of being in that room the first time when you're at, and the, and, and the Monday night dinner and you yeah. start out with, you know, everybody kind of, you know, you know, sharing pleasantries and having a few drinks and everything's cool. And then, yeah. and then they start, you walk out of there a few hours later and there's over half a million dollars that, that is generated in that room. It, it's the, the only thing I can compare it to is, is a religious experience. Yeah. It's, it's life changing for sure. And you know, it's funny. I was friends with Jody Perowitz first. We had mutual friends. We, uh, we, we, we hung out at rallies early on, you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't know until after I got to know her really that she was Dave Perowitz's daughter. And, uh, and you know, that that's, that's how I started coming around that. And I never, I never dreamed I would have the opportunity to become a hamster. Um, you know, of course there's all the myths about the group and, you know, everybody has a helicopter and all that stuff. And <laughs> we, 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 we have a whole book internally that should, that has all the myths in it that we kind of laugh about when we get together and have a couple of drinks. And, uh, and it's not that at all. You know, the hamsters are, uh, people who love custom motorcycles. It's all about custom motorcycles. And we are from all walks of life, but we are motorcycle people. Like the one thing about that group that I love. And, and when I, when I, I got in, in 2021 and uh, when I got inducted, it changed my life. It really ratcheted up my relationships to people who don't change their hobby and go do something else. They are motorcyclists their whole lives. Yeah. And I love, I love that about the group because that's me. And and I love custom bikes. And it doesn't matter what kind of custom bike. You know, it has to be a, uh, it has to be a custom. And, right. And, um, and, 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 and then that gets lumped into the charity element of it, which is unbelievable. And, and what, what, what is the most impressive is when we, when we get to meet the, the kids that, whose lives get changed when we donate that money to the children's hospital. You know, when we see the direct impact that raising that money has, forget it. Like that is bonding. It forms a brotherhood with us. And, and I don't, it, it doesn't even matter what anybody else thinks, you know, until you are in that room and you experience it, you have no clue. Right. right. And so it's, 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 it's awesome. And, and it changed my life, you know, I mean, we had almost 30 hamsters at the smokeout. I know I heard, and, and you know, the pictures uh, show it too, and it's it's funny because I went before the board the same year that you got your shirt, and I 
it's you know and i people are like well you know what if what if you don't what if you don't get your shirt next year and i'm like well what do, it's not going to change anything because for for six years i or five years i <clears throat> tried to get you know you know made myself known and made it known that that was what i wanted to do and so if it takes another 10 years of being in that room uh to to do that on monday nights i'm i'm down like it's not gonna yep. no i didn't know that you just got your shirt in 21. Uh, i was gonna yeah. ask you because you don't have like a date on you where you're like oh well, you expired or oh you're or you're right. the new guy you know it's it's just a very it's a very cool group of people that are like you said i think they're very um they're very misinterpreted and if you want to know about them you have to get to get to know some of them and it, it's actually it's it's very cool and there's different communities inside there too obviously there's yep. people who like yep. different things you know but um when they get together monday night and, and do what they do or we, i guess we could say we get you know even when you're there and you're a guest you know and you get immersed in that it's sometimes i think it's more overwhelming even you know the anticipation of, of before you get your shirt and you're still in that room and everybody's yeah. kind of getting to know you and you know it, it's it's pretty cool it's, it's yeah it, cool. Was, it was for me and and uh and you know i i i didn't i didn't do it for any reason except i i really did love the people i was meeting and and how welcoming everybody was and i'm sure you're experiencing that now too i mean I think the first time we met was at the Cape last year <laughs> in the, um, in the, in the bus. <laughs> yeah. In the bus. And we had a fucking, we had a great time, you know, <laughs> we were and, laughing and so hard. So, I mean, that's what it's all about. And, and, you know, it took me, I, I don't even know how many years I hung, I hung around, you know, it took me a while <clears throat> to go in front of the board and, uh, and to get to know folks because, you know, they don't, they don't want to have to undo it. Once no. you're in, it's forever. Like they don't want to have to undo it, so they want to make sure they get to know you. They want to make sure that that you're the real deal. And and you know the 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 thing that I'm gonna say is my favorite part of the group is if I call any other yellow shirt anywhere and I need anything, they're there, no questions asked. Yeah, well, there's that. And then so when people ask me like, well, why do you, why do you want to do that? I'm like, well, because. So, and we can, we can wrap up here. Cause I know you probably have some motorcycles to sell, but I, when, you know, when I got into the business, I had some friends who got in the business, right? I started meeting people in the business. Well, then I, um, we all had the same problems, right? Our problems looked kind of the same. And, and when, when the only tool you have is a hammer, all of your problems have to be nails. Well, then five yeah. years in, that's like your first, you, after you get your first, after you get your first um, if you get your first year in under your belt, you know, that's the hardest. And then five years is the yeah. next, right? And then 10 years is the next. So the problem I had the first year didn't look like the problem I had at the beginning. The, yes. the problem that I had five years in didn't look like the problem that I had at the beginning. And I knew somebody that was in five years, so we could kind of commiserate and help each other out and provide scaffolding, right? Well, now I'm 18 years in, I don't, my problems don't look like other people's problems that I know that are in five years and 10 years, right? Right. They look right. like 18 year old problems, right? So yep. the, you can look around that room and if you're not in, if you're in the motorcycle, custom motorcycle industry, and you're not inspired by the fact that Dave Perowitz is 70 or 71 or 72 years old and yep. still wearing Vans, tennis shoes and going to, that man <laughs> goes to every 
fucking show that he can go to because he loves what he does enough that he... Dude, I'm going to tell you right now. At the smokeout, I led an eight-hour ride through the mountains. He was right behind me. Eight, we rode, we were gone eight hours through the mountains, through the twisties. Like he was hammered it out right behind me. It was, it was, it's, it's one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me in my life is that I got to ride through the twisties and the Blue Ridge Parkway with Dave Perowitz. And when we got back, he was like, man, we're going to do that again. That was so awesome. And I'm expecting to go, oh, I'm tired. I got to go rest. He was like, when's the bar open up? You know, it's like, oh my gosh. Well, not only that, but to be, but think about it from this, this point. Um, and I have, I, I'll share it with you some other time. Maybe I can get you to come down here sometime and I can show you too. But, you know, I got to meet Arlen Ness, uh, years and years and years ago at a bike show and stuff. And so, you know, he was, he started the hamsters with Arlen and Jim Leahy and, and, uh, and, you know, um, Donnie, Donnie Smith. And there was guys yeah. like Don Hotop that are no longer here. And, you know, and, yeah. and Donnie turned 80 last year. Right. And, and, you know, and, um, there's, there's people that are aging out of being able to ride motorcycles and aging out of being able to go to events. And, you know, we just, uh, my Facebook feed, since I went before the board, it's unbelievable how yellow it is. Like, and I'm yeah. not in, I'm not a hamster yet, but that, that whole feed is, is, so I kind of know what's going on with everybody. And Dave Sylvia died like a week ago. And so I think that Dave is trying to extract every ounce of energy that he can out of as many rotate you know many trips around the sun as he can and, and so going back to why i want to be a hamster is when my problems are not able to be looked at by somebody and go hey man you know uh you're this is going to happen you need to be careful about this watch where you step here watch where you're there it's the i hate this word because people have misappropriated it but it's the fellowship yeah and it's the it's like you said it's the resourcefulness of the group because we've when we're all motorcycle people, we've all had the same motorcycle problems at one time or another. And so there's a yeah. lot of solutions, scaffolding, um, mentorship opportunities, both I can help other people and other people can help me. And, and that's that's why I wanna be there is to, is to actually solidify my position in the motorcycle industry to a point to where not only am I validated by my customers, but I'm validated validated by my peer group and I don't yes. think there's a single asshole in that room. No, there there is not. And and what you're saying is absolutely right. And it doesn't have to be motorcycle related. That's the cool part. Well, that's what I mean. Because sometimes yeah. my motorcycle, sometimes I have a problem here at the motorcycle shop that that follows me home. And I've you know I've been I've been married. You met my wife last year. We've been married 28 yeah. years. Like you know we're we've been I've I brought home a lot of bullshit. Bullshit in that amount of time. So when I say that, it's like you know, there's people in there that that, and it doesn't have to be a problem. But you know, going into a room and and getting as many hugs and high fives and fist bumps and people asking you, you know, that's how you know you belong somewhere is when people ask you how you're doing and they stick around long enough to hear the answer. Yep, you're right, and they sincerely want to know. Yep. And and you know, once you're in, it happens outside. The other day, my phone rings and, you know, said Dave Perowitz. And I answered and he goes, hey, what you doing? And I'm like, 
well, I just got done at work. Then it, it turns into an hour conversation about stuff. But there, that, there was no reason for the call except, hey, what you doing? Right. Like, that's cool. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to that. And you know, it, it is pretty cool to, to, to your point and, and we can, we can wrap is that it's pretty cool when your phone rings and the name that comes across is somebody that you either watch TV, read magazine and saw pictures of them or met at a bike rally when you were just getting started. Yep. Yep. Cool. And it's, it's, it's very amazing. Well, dude, I appreciate it, man. We went an hour and fifteen minutes pretty fast. <laughs> we're gonna—I yes, think we're gonna have to yeah. do this again. <laughs> That's awesome. Anytime, man. Cool. And I'm—I'm uh, I'm heading up to—I'm heading up to the Cape in a few weeks, so we'll get some hang time up there and stuff. And yeah. uh, I appreciate awesome. it today. And uh, listen, if you're in or if you're looking for a brand new motorcycle, you can—you can hook up. You can hook up with Mark on Instagram. What is your what is your handle? Um. Oh gosh. Uh, I'm going to find it before you find it. I think. Yeah. Um, I should know my hand. It's M Hendrix underscore HD. That's it. That's it. <laughs> but you're at tobacco road, Harley Davidson in Raleigh, North Carolina. So dude, I appreciate it, man. I look forward to hanging out with you. I'm sorry. I didn't get to go to the smoke out last weekend. Just had too much going on with my daughter's wedding and That's stuff. Right. So we're, we're going to do it again next weekend. Right on, man. Tell, uh, tell I'm, Ashley I'm next, I, year, next year, next year. Yeah. I knew what you meant in a couple weekends. We're going to be up in the Cape. So yeah. Yeah. We'll have a good time. Yep. Tell Ashley, I said, hello and I'll see you both very soon. I will. See you later. Thanks, Thanks for brother. having me. Bye. All right. Bye. You have been listening to the Power Wheels podcast with your host, Jason Holman. Thank you for listening. <laughs>